Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church podcast. Riverbend Church exists to lead all people to know, love, and live new life in Jesus Christ. We hope that you enjoy this message. This is week three of a vision series called The Time Is Now. And here's where we've been. This is a call to action for us as people of God, but also as the church. And so like I told you, uh, you know, kind of last week, uh, use an old school alarm clock because it has two bells on it. One bell is for you personally, for the personal vision that God's given you for your own life. And then the other one is for the church, kind of ringing the bell saying, hey, the time is now, it's urgent. There's some things that we have to do, that we must do. And so uh, Haggai, has been kind of our guide in this little bitty book in the Bible called Haggai. He shows up in 520 BC to ring the alarm clock for God's people and say, hey, it's time to get to work. It's time for you to start building the temple. And so uh, for us today, what I want to do before we get into our message from Haggai, I want to take it back to where we started in week one when I looked at kind of the, the values. Uh, Riverbend Church has 12 cultural values that kind of drive who we are and what, what we really hope to do. Uh, but three of them that we're focusing on during this, uh, during this vision, this next several months of life here. And the first one is this, mission matters. Mission matters. Everyone who calls Riverbend home will lead one to know, love, and live new life in Jesus Christ. So, uh, our mission here is that we are here, our, our primary purpose, unashamedly, we exist to lead all people to know and love and live new life in Jesus Christ. It's a journey that we're on, and it's something we want to invite other people, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers into. And so my challenge to us as a church is what if everybody got intentional about leading one? And so we're going to talk about some specific ways today that you can do that in our share section. But uh, next generation, the second one is next generation matters. And so here's what we've decided as a church. We will give our first and best to reach and empower the next generation. And that's, you know, from our babies this morning, there are a ton of river kids back in our river kids area, fifth grade and down there. And uh, right now we're pouring in. We're pouring into them on Sundays. Families, moms and dads, we come alongside you in every way that we can just to be an outside voice saying the same things to your kids, pointing them to Jesus, helping them discover their purpose. And so, uh, but here, here's the, the reality. Whoever wants them the most will get them. You believe that about your kids? Whoever shows them that we, you want them the most, whoever wants their attention most, whoever desires their lives the most, gets them. And so this is just kind of unashamedly us as a church saying part of this is we're going to double down on this, on this piece of it. And then the third one is this, community matters. And so community matters means this, we will build a better community in Jesus' name, no strings attached through Project Hope. And so uh, as these values are kind of our focus, what's driving force behind it, here are the four actions. Because you go, well, those sound good, but how do we do it? Well, there's four things we're asking everybody as a church to do. And here's the first one is to pray, to pray. And you go, man, that's really simple. I thought everybody's supposed to do that. Yeah, but do we? Come on. Like sometimes we pray, you know, when like, you know, if, you, if you're in school and you got a test and you didn't study for it, Lord, help us, you know, or you're running late, Lord, give me green lights. I'm guilty of praying that one on the way to church. Like, God, it'd be so awesome today if you just give me green lights and sometimes he makes me wait. Uh, I know some of y'all probably pray that on the way to work or school, wherever you're going. But uh, it's, it's just for us to intentionally set aside time to pray. The second one is share. And this is what I want to share at the end today, some ways that I want to challenge you to share. But share your faith. Share your story, invite someone, lead somebody in your life that you love to take a next step. You can't do it for them, but you can lead them there and let the Lord work. The third one is give. 
So yes, we're talking about money, but even more, time. We're talking about serving in the church. We're talking about offerings to the Lord. Uh, We're talking about being generous, irrationally generous people, where others would look at us and go, why are you so generous? Why are you that way? And the reason we could say is, well, let me tell you my story. Let me tell you what God's done for me. And then the last one is care. And, you know, sometimes it's easier to give than it is to care. But it's both and. It's I want to give my time, my money, my resources, but also I want to care. And so Project Hope is our outreach arm as a church. And so over the next uh, couple of weeks, we're going to have some opportunities for you to start signing up uh, for, uh, for mission opportunities. We kind of closed that down for a little while after COVID. Uh, we did a lot in our community. We didn't stop, but we stopped going international. We stopped even going kind of kind of abroad here. But uh, we're going to have a home of Louisiana trip coming up uh, in the next couple of weeks you can sign up for. And also a trip to Uganda with Helping Hands, which is a partner of Riverbend that was birthed out of this church many years ago. And so I'm really excited to tell you, it's going to take some time to unpack and show you all the action steps, but we're getting there. And so this past week, I challenged you to pray. And I'll tell you my story. I was in a parking lot uh, down at Oakwood and a van pulls in one night last week, late one evening, van pulls up, window rolls down, it's Charlie Johnson, Michael's down. He's like, hey, I felt led to spontaneously pray for you. So let's bow our heads right there in the parking lot. He was like, in Jesus name, he just prayed over me, rolled the window up, drove away. And I was like, he took this pray challenge seriously. He's like riding around just randomly praying for for people, and I love it. But uh, I I hope that somehow over the last week, if you've been with us, that you have been challenged to be more consistent in your prayer life, more spontaneous in your own prayer life. And so today, we're picking up in Haggai chapter 2 in your Bible, and here's the title of the message today, Fertilizer for Your Faith. And you go, man, what kind of pastor titles a message fertilizer? The kind of kid that grew up on a farm, man. I carried fertilizer bags, literally 50 pound, uh, 50 pound bags of ammonium nitrate, triple 13. I can tell you all about it. Uh, so my grandfather had his own special mix that he would mix, and we had to carry it as a kid. And so you go, man, when did you grow up? 1923? Yeah. And so working on the farm as a kid, but I thought about it, man. Sometimes we need somebody to fertilize our faith. Sometimes we need people, other, uh, you know, we need to fertilize our, our own faith. What is fertilizer? It's a substance or, or nutrients that when added to an environment, it increases the productivity. It increases the growth rate. And so that's kind of my heart for us today. Listen, we're doing good. God's blessing us. We're seeing crazy great things happen. But the honest truth is, what if we just kept pouring fertilizer on our faith? What would we see happen? So Today, I want to give you fertilizer for your faith. Do you know what it is? It's something that everybody here can do. Sometimes when you talk about things like this, you know, you automatically write yourself off because you go, well, I'm, I'm not far enough along yet to do that. I'll get there. You know why it's something everybody can do? It's a mindset change. Fertilizing your faith really starts with changing your mind. And so I want to talk about how you can do that today and what it means. Let me give you what fertilizer for your faith is. Here it is. I put this in your notes. It is the people of God believing that the best days are ahead of us, not behind us. Now, be honest with me for a minute today. You're in church, right? How many optimists in the room? Like, you're pretty optimistic. You wake up and you go, hey, I know you are, Chris. No joke, man. How many of you down at Oakwood? Raise your hand. How many of you are optimists in the room? All right. So you're the bright and shiny morning people that we all hate. You're just like, leave me alone right now if you're not that person. But all right. Now, how many of you, and listen, be honest, how, how many of you are the pessimist? I know you better raise your hand right there, but you got two side by side. I got to be careful. Uh, so I won't even ask you how many of you are cynical. We're not even going to go that deep this morning. I want you to raise your hand. But 
Pessimist, here's the thing. If you're an optimist, you're going to have a little bit easier time taking this message in today. You're going to go, Joe, I like you so much. Man, that blessed my heart. Thank you. If you're a pessimist, you're going to go, man, I hate you. I know you're preaching the word, but I don't really like this word that much. And so hang with me. Don't go to the bathroom and check out yet. I got something for you here. And so there are people, and you don't even know that you believe this mindset, but the reason you have a hard time in your faith is if you were to drill down on what's going on in your heart, you believe the best days are in your past. Somehow you believe it. You think back to a fond time in your past and somehow you believe that you've already experienced the best thing you ever will in this world and even in heaven. But here's the thing. There are churches that believe the same thing. Do you know what it does to a church to believe that the best days are in the past? Even if you've had good days, it shuts you down. Because you know what happens? We decide that the best days are in the past and then we never get to see what could be because we keep talking about what used to be. Listen, I'm not about not celebrating the past. We celebrate. There's so many things we celebrate. But what if we as a church just walked out of the room today going, I'm going to change my mind. My best days are still ahead of me. Whether I have three days left or 30 years left, no matter how much time I have, my best days are ahead. Listen, that's what Haggai is going to teach us today. That's what the message he was preaching today. And so uh, here's what it says. Verse 1, Haggai chapter 2. Then on October 17th of the same year, And we know this to be 520 BC. The Lord sent another message through the prophet Haggai. And so I'm going to give you the timeline real quick to remind you. Haggai shows up on August 29th of 520 BC. About three weeks later, uh, on September 21st, uh, first the people start working on the temple. They start working on the foundation. Here we are about four weeks later on October 17th. And so the Lord sends another message to the people. And let me tell you what God is doing if you zoom out here. The Lord is sensing the wrestlings in their hearts, even though we don't know what they're saying and we don't know exactly what they're going through. And God is sending a message before they even have to verbalize it. He sees the struggle of the life that's going on and he says, let me just go ahead and give you a word for that. And that's what he does. October would have also aligned with a very famous Jewish holiday where the people uh, would celebrate God's faithfulness, specifically how he had delivered them generations ago out of Egypt. And so they would stop to celebrate. That's during this time, during this celebration. So here's what it says, verse 2. Here's the message. Say this to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of God's people in the land. And then he asks a question. Does anyone remember this house? And let me catch you up to where they are. Right now, they're just looking at the temple foundation. They have an altar where they worship, but basically a slab, and maybe there's weeds growing all around it. They've been working on weed eating it. They've been working on getting the foundation laid out there, and they have a a place of worship. But when they gather, it looks nothing like the temple used to look. But in the audience, there are some 70-year-olds, maybe even late 60s, 60, 70, 80-year-olds, and they were alive to see the first temple before they were kicked out of their city. Now that they're back home again, the younger generations never saw it. They grew up in a foreign land. They grew up in Babylon, but now they're home, and some of the old ones remember. Now look what God does. He goes, does anyone remember this temple, this house, this temple in its former splendor? How in comparison does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. See, God wasn't sharing something hypothetical. He knows that the people are struggling in their minds because they're thinking about how good it used to be instead of what it could be. And I wonder if that's yours and my problem sometimes. Instead of really believing what God could do, we always think about what's in, in the past, our best days, the opportunities we missed. 
regret can eat you up when you live like that. When you think about, man, if only I had done this and only I had done that. And I'm not saying we shouldn't learn from that, but you can't allow that to be what guides you through life. And that's kind of what's happening with these people. Now, let me show you, to give you an example, we don't, I don't know exactly what the temple looked like, but we know an idea because it's spelled, it's written about. But Solomon's temple that was built around 1,000, 1000 BC, it was a wonder of the world. Let me give you a little, a little idea of what Solomon's temple looks like. So this is kind of a sketch of it, the big altar outside where they would sacrifice. And then uh, you could go into the inside and inside the building, there was a holy of holies where only once a year, the high priest could go into that temple. But this thing is made, that is literally gold. It was covered with gold. It was fine wood, everything you can imagine, gold, silver, stone, he used it. And so that temple got destroyed when Babylon came in in the 600s BC. Now that people are back home and they're rebuilding, once they get Zerubbabel's temple rebuilt, here's kind of an, a sketch of what it looks like. So you see the difference in it? The people who remembered the first one, they're going, man, the best days in the past. This temple looks nothing like that one, even the foundation. And so they kept worrying about what used to be and they couldn't see what could be. So look at verse 10. It says this, when the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests put on their robes and took their places to blow their trumpets. So they just had finished the foundation of it. And it says the Levites, descendants of Asaph, clashed their cymbals to praise the Lord as King David had prescribed. So they brought a worship band to the slab. Just because they got one section done, they're celebrating and they're happy, especially the younger generation. They're excited. They've never been a part of anything like this. And so they're so excited to see what's going on. And so here's what it says. Verse 11, with praise and thanks, they sang this song to the Lord. He is so good. His faithful love in, uh, for Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord because the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. Now look at verse 12. But many of the older priests and Levites, those were the temple workers, and the other leaders who had seen the first temple, they wept aloud when they saw the foundation. And we're going to find out this wasn't tears of joy. They were thinking about the past and what used to be when they were kids, maybe even rightfully so, thinking about people that were taken out of their lives when they were captured, thinking about the pain of the past. And so it says that they, they wept aloud when they saw it. The others, however, the younger generations, they were shouting for joy. The joyful shouting and weeping mingled together in a, in a noise so loud that it could be heard far in the distance. You know what I think the alarm clock for our hearts is today? To truly believe that the best days are ahead of you. Listen, I, I guarantee you in this room, for we to get really real this morning, there's some mistakes that have been made and you think you'll never ever recover and find joy again. The gospel says different. Maybe you think your marriage has already passed through the best time because that was when you were raising your kids or before you had kids. You know, now you're up all night. You got sick kids and you're trying. Maybe that's where you think, you know, the best days are behind. Maybe you're in an empty nest season now and all you can do is think about how the best days are behind. Listen, I hope to convince you by the power of the spirit of God today to walk out of these doors and believe God at his word that our best days are ahead, not only in the earth, we're gonna have some good things here and some bad things here, but we do know if we believe Jesus one day, he's gonna take us to heaven. Listen, our best days are ahead, church. Are you excited for that? I look forward to that day, but I know I got purpose here in the time being. Now, I wanna give you two reasons that I see here in the scripture that we can believe the best days are behind. Because I think no matter if you're optimist or pessimist, we both contend to 
deal with both of these. And here's the first one, discouragement. Things are not how they used to be, and so you get discouraged. And it's fair. Listen, one reason we as a church decided one of the values we're going to focus on for the next two years is next generation. The next gen, the ones coming behind us. And you know why? We must do that because we must do it. Like if we, if we don't, then one day there will be no one left to lead, no one left to share the gospel. The moment we let our hearts believe the best days are behind us, you know what happens? We lose the hunger for now. I've shared this with you guys and the men we meet with on Tuesday morning. We talk about it a good bit uh, at, our, at our guys group, but uh, hunger. It's, it's the last part of my prayer every morning. God, keep me hungry. Because some days you, just lo- you can lose your fire. You can lose your passion for the Lord and for life and for, for doing the right thing. You can just lose it. So part of my prayer is, God, keep me hungry. Don't let me lose that hunger. But discouragement can take it out. We lose to see the, hung- the hunger to see God work now. I read a, a commentator uh, this past couple weeks that said this about this passage. A backward look that discounts present activity is always peril. So it's not wrong to look back at the past and learn from it, celebrate it, be sad about it, whatever, have regret, deal with it. Not bad to do that. It's not wrong. It's not a sin. But it's always, uh, it always is peril whenever it discounts the present activity of God in your life. I wonder if there's anybody wrestling with something that God wants to do in you, but for some reason you're holding back because you don't feel like you have what it takes or you feel like you've blown it too much. I've been there. The second, the second reason we believe the best days are high is this, disappointment. Things are not how you hoped they'd be by now. Now, I know I'm talking to somebody on this one. See, the temple workers, they had worked for several months, and all that was done was the foundation. That was it. But I think it's true for some followers of Jesus today. You've been working so hard, and you haven't gotten as far along as you wish you had. Maybe you've been trying to recover from some trauma in your life. You've been trying to get your mental health to a better place. You've been trying to get your marriage to a better place. Maybe as a single adult, you've been trying to get your own self healthy and you feel like you're struggling financially and you're struggling in every way and you just cannot move forward. And so it makes it really hard sometimes to get on board with excitement about a new vision when you're so disappointed with not being where you want to be right now. And I think that was a lot of the the people's problem here. Do you know what we can learn Sometimes disappointments are God's divine appointments. We don't like that about God, do we? When he would allow something hard, like you thought it was going to work out, you thought you were heading down a path, and then the Lord said, nope, he just cut it off. And it doesn't make any sense. But behind the scenes, divinely, God has set that appointment because he's doing something in you. He's doing something behind the scenes for you. You didn't get the job you wanted because God was doing something else. Now, here's the cool thing about a room this size. There's people here also today, and I guarantee you, you've come full circle. You've been able to see how the disappointments, God was in it. Maybe the spouse that you wanted didn't come yet. The kids didn't come yet that you prayed for. Maybe you've been praying for your husband or for your wife, and it just hadn't happened yet. Maybe you've been wanting a platform in your life. I know so many times we equate like success now to how big of a platform, how big of a following do you have out there? Maybe God has even put it in your heart. Like, hey, I want to give you that. I want to let you be influential for my glory, for my namesake. But it hasn't happened yet in your timing and you get disappointed and you can even become cynical when it doesn't happen fast enough. 
I'm not taking away the pain of anybody's moments. I'm not trying to take away from the fact that it hurts. I just want you to hear my heart this morning to say, God is not done yet. Every time I read his word, he continues. The story continues. The end of the story has not been played out yet. And so whether it's disappointment or discouragement, Haggai reminds us that God is not done yet. Now, I want to look at the message he spoke to those that were struggling to stay passionate about the vision in Haggai. And it's going to speak to us too. Look at verse 4. Now the Lord says this, Be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Jeshua. Be strong, all you people still left in the land. He could have just said it one time, but do you know, God sometimes needs to repeat himself. It's kind of like him saying, hey, be strong, Gainesville. Be strong, Oakwood. Be strong, leaders. Be strong, dads. Be strong, moms. Be strong, young adult. And we'll talk about what it means to be strong. Because you ever just get frustrated when the Bible says something like be strong, and you go, how do I do that? Like, if I'm not strong, how do I be strong, God? I want to give you the answer to that in just a moment. But he says this, be strong, and now get to work. So be strong, and now it's time to do something. Get to work, for I am with you. Some of you parents, you can write down this verse and help your kids memorize it, and you can quote it to them. I said get to work, because the Bible said it. Get to work. Here it is right here. Get to work, for I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And look at this last verse, because this is the most encouragement. Even though they were struggling, they were constantly, the older generation was thinking about the past days and how good they were. God promised them. He said, my spirit remains among you. Take that in for a moment. The spirit of God is in and around your life at all times. He has never left you, even when you didn't want him. Even when you're living in such a way that you go, how could God want me? He never leaves you. Scripturally, he never leaves and forsakes. His spirit is constantly working in us and around us and drawing us. But here's what he says. My spirit remains among you just as I promised when you came out of Egypt. So, because I'm with you, do not be afraid. Let me break down this action for us this morning. What does it mean to be strong? Well, here it is. It's really simple. Make up your mind. Now, you have to go, and I would encourage you to do this. There's so many online study tools where you can go look at the original language where God says, be strong. It, it has the idea of resoluteness. Be resolute. You know, to be resolute is to make up your mind. He was telling the people, you know, stop being wishy-washy. Do you believe the best days are ahead or behind? Do you believe that I have more in store for you? Do you believe that I'm your God and I'm good towards you or not? Make up your mind what you believe. This is not the only time that God would say this to his people in the Old Testament. Make up your mind. Jesus even preached messages like this. Just decide. You want to follow me? Then here's what it looks like to follow me. But you make up your mind. We are so fearful in our day to really believe the Bible and believe God. You know why? Because it means that we have an absolute standard and some people are not going to like that. The very moment that I take God's word and I say, you know what? I'm not trying to offend you, but I'm going to live my life on his truth. I'm automatically going to have some people offended with me. Because they go, man, how can you be so narrow-minded? But here's the thing. God just wants us to make up our mind. He's not forcing us into anything but just for the people here, be strong, make up your mind. I know that there are some believers and the power of God in your life is this small step away, this small mindset change away. Just make up your mind. Who do you want to be? I mean, Romans tells us about how the spirit of God, when we become followers of Christ, his Holy Spirit sets us free. Nothing, has, nothing can have control over us anymore unless we allow it to. 
We get the spirit of God. And so you know what that tells me? You get to make up your mind who you want to be in Christ at that moment. No addiction can hold you. Now, you might have to fight against all hell to get free, but you have the freedom available to you. It might be your attitude. It might be your mindset. It might be your anger issues. It might be some other kind of addiction in your life. But here's the thing. You can be free. Nothing can hold you once you've made up your mind that my God is on the throne. He is all-powerful. Nothing can stand against him. And if he is for me, who can be against me once you make up your mind? Now, the second part, he said, be strong, church, but also this, get to work. You know what that is? That's this, move your feet. So many times God says, go, and we don't put our shoes on as people of God. I want you to go share your story with somebody. Eh, I'll get to it, God, tomorrow. Maybe God even calls you to, you know, sometimes it's simple things. I remember the call. This is a crazy story, but when I, when I was younger, and I, I had a prayer life of my own, but I hadn't started really praying with my family yet. One of the fondest memories and crazy God moments in our life was when I finally got the courage, I made up my mind, and I put my shoes on to start praying with my family. I would anticipate it every day, saying, you know, I, I need to pull together my family and pray. And I finally, we got a little coffee table. We kept it for years because we had it for so many years, but we would all kneel down around that coffee table and just pray to the Lord together. But it took courage on my part to finally say, you know what, let's do this. But it was putting feet to it. So I wonder for you, what is it that you know God is already stirring in you? Like he's already drawing you. He's saying, hey, I got something I want you to do. There's a change I want you to make. There's, there's something I want you to do as a ministry. There's something I want you to do with your life. I'm just waiting on you to put your shoes on. I've already given you all the tools you need. I've given you my spirit to empower you. I'm just waiting on you. When will you begin to move? Now, if you take these two actions, make up your mind and move your feet, that's very inspirational. But the Bible's not just inspirational, it's life-changing, it's new life-giving. The last instruction here, he says this. He says, remember, I am with you. My spirit remains among you. Do you know what he's implying by that? I want you then to live by my spirit. Since my spirit is with you, live by my spirit. Now, as soon as I said this this week when I was thinking through it, it's a mystical sounding thing. And I, I, if you're like me for many years, I ask, what does it look like to live by the spirit? I mean, I hear you say it. Also, we're told that we should pray in the spirit. Well, there's probably a handful of people in the room you feel comfortable saying, yeah, I think I, I, think I could tell you what living by the spirit is. But sometimes we so mystify it. It's like, man, you gotta be this, this Christian that's been a Christian for 25 years and then you can live by the Spirit. No, no, no. It's available to the person who will believe in Jesus today. Right where you are today, you can put your faith in Jesus Christ and you can begin to live by the Spirit. So what does it mean to live by the Spirit? Well, here it is. To live like God is with you. Really, really simple. Live like God is with you. Go with me for a moment. When you first wake up in the morning, what's the first thing that goes through your mind? It probably has to do with the first thing you put in your hand, right? I mean, your alarm clock turns into an email, turns into a quick social media check. What's the, what's the first thing that's, that's there in the mornings? Set yourself up in such a way to where you think of God when you first open your eyes in the morning. Make yourself a note. You can even, I, I, I trick myself many times. I've set my alarm to say, hey, remember Jesus is with you today. Remember the mercy of the Lord is new. That's what I'll name my alarm clocks. 
So when they go off and I'm looking, it's like, Jesus is with you. Woo! You got to start somewhere, man, because some days you just don't feel it. And so you got to start somewhere. So maybe you need to go home and rename your alarm instead of I hate you, because that's what some of you think about your Put, hey, God is with you. He's going to do great things. My best days are ahead. The time is now, bro. Just make yourself a note. Put it on your alarm. So when you look at it, it's reminding you of that. Here's the problem and why a lot of us don't actually live by the Spirit, though. In the New Testament, there's, there's two different ways that we can kind of live out from under the anointing of God. God doesn't leave us. He doesn't decide that he doesn't want us anymore. But to live in the anointing of the Spirit, you have to be, be aware of two things. You can grieve his Spirit, and you can also quench the Spirit. And so do you know what it means to grieve the Spirit of God? Like you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. What is it to grieve it? It's to have unrepentant sin. Because see, you got this conflict inside you. God is telling you, hey, there's some sin in your life. There's something that I want you to give up. There's something I want to free you from, but you keep holding on to it. And so there's this inner battle going on. And the battle's on the inside. It's really hard to be useful on the outside at that time, hard to live in the anointing. And so unrepentant sin is one of those things that you can't live in the power of the anointing unless you're willing to open your heart up and say, God, you got me. Like, I want to get right with you again. But the other one is more dangerous, I think. It's to quench the Spirit. Do you know what to quench the Spirit of God is? To stop believing that He can do what He says He'll do. Now, this could be based on how you grew up, because some churches taught, uh, you know, your theology. You may have grown up thinking, well, the Spirit of God and all those spiritual gifts, that was the disciples. That was like first century. But now we're, you know, 2,000 years later, we just have to believe in Jesus and and there is a spirit, but we don't know if he can do anything. Listen, I want you to know, you're sitting in a church that has seen the miracles of God through the Holy Spirit. We have seen people come from death to life spiritually. We've seen people healed. We've seen families healed. that It was impossible. It was a miracle. But the spirit of God showed up and began to work. We've seen spiritual gifts given to people. The Bible talks about a lot, a lot of practical gifts in the book of Romans and in the book of 2 Corinthians, practical gifts of leadership and wisdom and knowledge that God gives to people. But to live by the Spirit is to believe that he is with you all the time. What does it take to get you to that point to go, God, I know that you're with me. That's a mindset shift of its own, just to be aware. You know the secret of me pushing prayer so hard on us as a church if we will pray, we'll be reminded who we're praying to. If we're reminded who we're praying to, we'll be reminded who's watching over us. We're reminded who's watching over us, we'll be reminded who is with us all day long. We'll be reminded who is never going to leave us or forsake us, even when we've had a hard day. Now, if you look back to, that, to the Israelites trying to build this temple, the reason it looked shabby is because they didn't have money. They didn't have a lot of materials. So I want to show you, God must have known they were wrestling inside going, God, we want to build a nicer temple, but we don't have the money. Look what it says, verse 6. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. In just a little while, I will again shake the heavens and the earth. Now, he says again, I'm going to shake it, because if you back up in their history, he had already shaken the Canaanites out of their land 400, 500 years earlier, and he gave them the land. He gave them somebody else's land, somebody else's houses. There was a wicked people that had been sinning against God. God punished them by kicking them out of the land, letting Israel take over. And so he kind of equates that fact. I shook the heavens then, I shook the earth then, and I gave you this. He said, I will shake the heavens and the earth again, the oceans and the dry land. I will shake all nations. He says, I'll shake all nations, and the treasures of all nations will be brought to this temple. 
Not the old temple, but this temple. And then he says this, I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The silver is mine, the gold is mine. That's a reminder right here today that, man, God's got it. If he's called you to it, he's gonna provide. God wants us to get two things here. I think it's two vision realities. Here's the first one. God owns everything. And you have to distinguish here. God is gonna provide. If we will seek him first, he's gonna provide our needs. But this specifically has to do with the vision that he's given us as, as people and then as a church. God will provide. They didn't have the silver or gold for the temple. But you know who did? Their heavenly father. Listen, you may not have all the money you need for the vision that God's put in your life, but do you know who does have it? Your heavenly father. Do you know who can provide in ways that you can't even imagine yet? You don't even have to know. We don't know how to imagine how God could actually provide for us. Your father will provide for the vision that he has called you to. Now, there's another reality here. God says that I'm going to shake all the nations and the treasures of all nations will be brought to the temple. You have to understand this is a prophetic word. The treasures of all the nations will be brought. Um, actually, there's kind of twofold. One is actually the gold and silver would be brought to the temple. And if you fast forward to when King Herod was there, actually King Herod would use the Romans' money and others' money and his own wealth that he had kind of stolen from people to make this temple really, really nice again. And so that was true. It was going to happen. But the prophetic word was this. The treasures of all nations can also be translated the desires of all nations. And so the temple that would be built would be the temple that Jesus would walk in. 500 years later, almost, Jesus would be on the scene and he would enter Zerubbabel's temple, the one that didn't look as magnificent as the old one. And so when God said, I'm gonna bring the treasure of all nations into this temple, it was actually a prophetic word to say, Jesus himself is gonna walk in this temple. Jesus would shake the nation. See, we may not admit it, but he is the treasure and desire of all nations. Many just don't know his name yet. But shaking the nations, God said, I'm gonna shake the nations. Let me show you the, the next piece here. Here's something else God was reminding them. God can shake the pockets of your enemies to provide for the vision he's called you to. That's what he did throughout history. Israelites' enemies, he would provide by shaking their pockets to provide for it. He got the city rebuilt. You remember Nehemiah, the story of Nehemiah, who's gonna come a little later and build the wall? Guess who financed that? Persia. They financed the rebuilding of the wall. God used many ways to provide for his people. Do you know why I wanna share this with you? Because you have a God that loves you, the best days are ahead, and he's gonna provide. If you are walking in the vision he has called you to, he will provide for you. And so throughout scripture, there's this principle here, this fertilizer for our faith that's found in Haggai, Haggai chapter two and verse nine. Here's the last verse today. The future of this temple will be greater. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory. That was so hard to see when they were standing there looking at sort of a, a ratty foundation. I mean, it was small. What magnificent like the last one. It was hard to imagine standing there when Haggai's preaching this message going, I know what you see in your life right now, but I'm asking you to believe your God. The, the, the future glory is gonna be better than the past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And in this place, 
In this new temple you're building, I will bring peace. Guess who walked into that temple? The Prince of Peace, Jesus himself. It says, I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken to you. To say the future glory is greater than the past glory. Do you know what he's saying? The best days are ahead for you, Israel. And so ultimately, it's if Haggai were here this morning to convert this message to 2022 Riverbend language, he would look at you and say, some of you may not believe it right now, but your best days are still ahead. You need this encouraging word for your heart. Even if you've had some amazing days, you have a God that loves you so much, your best days are ahead of you. So a word for the person who's disappointed, a word for the person who's discouraged today, maybe, maybe standing in a place in life where you wish you'd be so much further along by now, further along by now, but you're just not. Here's the word. The future glory on your life because of Jesus Christ is going to be greater than the past glory. You look around our city and look around our state, look around our nation. It's hard to believe that, isn't it? So we got a quandary in our faith. Do we really believe that our best days are behind us or do we believe that we serve a God who says our best days are ahead of us? That's something you got to work out. It's important to work it out because if we're going to grab hold of this mission and this vision God's given us, to see people come to know the Lord, to see our community impacted over these next 18 months, if we're going to do it, all those who call Riverbend home, who are children of God, who've said yes to Jesus, we've got to decide that we believe the best days are ahead. Pour that fertilizer on your faith. So let me give you a question to ponder this morning. Where do you need to believe God again? That your best days are ahead. So that's a great question to ponder today. Where do you need to believe God again? Or maybe you've never believed God to start with, but the Lord is stirring. You'd even feel like maybe his spirit is stirring your spirit right now. Maybe you've been intending to to get your faith, to fertilize your faith, to grow it again, but whatever happened in your past, it just kind of left you stuck. Where do you need to start believing God again that your best days are ahead? It literally can change everything. Let me give you an example. You know, for some of us, when you look at your family, it feels like the best days are behind you. And that could be because it used to be good, but then you went through a divorce. That, be, that could be because you lost somebody and it hurts and you're grieving. And even if it's been a long time, you're still just, there's so much pain there. And, and the honest truth is you just believe the best days are in the past. Listen, I'm not trying to take away from the fact that it hurts and you're in pain, but I'm just saying according to God's word, our best days are ahead. And when you begin to change your mind and believe him and just believe that God still wants to do great things through your life again, Believe the end of the story that ultimately he's going to take us to be with him forever. Those that are called by his name. Maybe it's because of a financial situation you're in. You believe the best days are behind you. Maybe it's because you've been praying and God hadn't been working and you're timing and you're frustrated with him and you feel like, you know what? I don't even know if God hears my prayers or cares. Listen, will you just open up your mind today? It's a change of mind. Pouring fertilizer on your faith is literally a change of your mindset to believe that your God is working all things together for your good, to believe that he still has great things for you. Maybe you feel too old. 
Maybe you feel like you're past the season in your life where God can use you. Listen, if you'll surrender, if you'll begin to step in and believe him again, God will use you. But you've got to make the decision. I can try hard to convince you. I think God's word wants to convince us of that. I think his spirit is drawing us to believe that our best days are ahead. We have to step into it today. So maybe for you stepping into it first, it's just saying, Jesus, I'm ready to surrender to you. I'm ready to believe you for the first time. And so right where you are, you can just open your heart up to Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe you. I'm ready to start believing you. Maybe you need a life change right now. Ask him, God, change my life. I'm ready to start living for my best days. Just tell him that. But even if you've been in a really, really hard season, maybe this word comes to you at, at just in a timely place in your life, a timely season where you need to hear this. Your best days are ahead. Your life matters. Your story isn't over with God. There's always a new chapter. That's why we say in Jesus, we have new life. It's not just a one and done thing from a long ago. It's like day by day, that mercy of the Lord is new. So maybe today you just need to feel the mercy of the Lord washing over your soul and say, God, I'm ready to believe you again. And then just start living it. Put your feet in it. Let me pray for you today. Lord, thank you today for those that are believing you again. Thank you for those, God, that even though they've been struggling, they're opening their mind up to putting faith in you. God, to believe you at your word, to believe our best days are ahead. And so, Lord, I want to pray over every friend that's watching this. God, that you would bless them with your presence and your anointing right where they are right now. Lord, that you would begin to let the... I don't know, it feels like a curse over some people's lives just lift so they can see the sky again. Lord, they can breathe again. Lord, so that the depression will be pushed back, the darkness will be pushed back, and God, they'll see you for who you are and believe you, God, that not only do you have good days for us ahead here, but Lord, in heaven forever will be our best days. So Father, I speak that over your people today. Bless us in Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church Podcast learn more about who we are as a church and how to connect, you can head over to our website, riverbendchurch.life.